You're listening to Two Guys Talking Wine with Michael Pincus and Andre Prue. Andre, this has got to be the strangest podcast we've ever recorded. Oh, we're we're no. recording at the uh, Four Seasons, yeah. and I think we're on season three. Yeah. This is uh, we're outside again at, at your place on your patio. We got a good six feet apart, and uh, we're under uh, umbrellas. We're so. under an ungava branded umbrella great so, canadian gin and yes we're adhering to the social distancing rules i think it's going to be a long cold winter for everyone but uh you know just the slight disclaimer that we've got to do our parts um before we get into what we're talking about it is still the holiday season uh if you had, haven't had a chance to listen to our psalm blinders podcast you can help us out by picking up uh, some decks i got some news today from them that some people have in fact purchased decks using our promo code 2gtw oh, it's a you. really fun game to uh just kind of help maybe some of help share your love of wine with some people who might not have the same vocabulary that you do so blindersgame.com and also check out patreon uh patreon.com slash two guys talking wine you know no one has taken us up on it but there is an opportunity to uh, help sponsor the podcast and you will get a uh, private tasting with michael and i where you'll get to uh hear us yell at each other face to face or, or or in your face, one of the two, something like that. So, uh, Andre, uh, we we racked our brains what to talk about uh, under the umbrella, and uh, a, a big thank you goes out to uh, Featherstone this week uh, because uh, I put out uh, two emails to two wineries whom I know do very good with Cabernet Franc. Yes, and uh, one of them came through with a small flight of uh, a four Cabernet Franc, an eight, a thirteen, a fourteen, and a fifteen. Yeah, um, and just something to, to let people know, uh, like I know we joke a lot about my love of Chardonnay, which is not really a joke. I mean, my love of Chardonnay is, is genuine, but you oh, know, I've, been, I've been spending a lot of time reflecting on uh, just what we talked about when we um, talked about that discussion about Ontario's grape. Uh, and shortly after the discussion took place um, on the Facebook group, um, I had a chance to taste through Mark, uh, Mark Pister's Fogler Cabernet Franc and the 2016 Cabernet Franc, like just oh, just moved me. Oh, it was yeah, it was really good. I tried that uh, uh, earlier last uh, earlier this year, last year. It was so I thought it was yeah. I thought I thought it was so I thought it was worthwhile for us to maybe just spend a little bit of time over the next uh, few months, maybe even the next year, just diving a little bit more into Ontario Cabernet Franc, and um, you know, starting with Featherstone, I think is a very logical place to start. I think we should also talk about Gamay, but let's, let's because we're here with Cab Franc, maybe maybe Malivoire would like to hook us up with some uh, <laughs> older Gamay, uh, just to see what... Or Chateau, what Chateau Charmes, but I don't know if Chateau Charmes are, are displeased with us after thumbing down the the Pinot Noir. Well, but uh, Malivoire might be interesting for Gamay. But anyway, here we are with uh, with an 08 Featherstone Cab Franc. The interesting part, they're all under screw cap. They've always been about screw cap. The only difference between them is I think as we get into 15, they get into that Lux. It's a, it's a nice, I like so, the Lux closure. But uh, but here we are uh, to see if, you know, in fact, Cabernet Franc could be uh, Ontario's grape. I think, in in my opinion, it's a little longer lived than Chardonnay from Ontario. I, I'd agree with that. So... Uh, I but I mean, most really people aren't good. buying Chardonnay with the intention of aging them for a long time. Even when you're talking about, you know, maybe some from Burgundy you're holding on to for a really long ass time. But, you know, even some of my favorites from. So uh, you know what? 
I'm, I'm calling muskrat. I'm gonna, that's, a, that's a safe word. I'm not going to go off on, on Chardonnay. <laughs> I think it's without dispute that Cabernet Franc... I didn't know you and Anya had a safe word, but good for you. <laughs> that Cabernet Franc, without a doubt, is uh, generally more cellar-worthy. Um, so, so as we're sitting here with this 08, 08, not, not a great year. Not a great vintage. What most winemakers refer to as a challenging vintage. It was a challenging vintage. It was a wet vintage. It was just not... Not a great a great year. This one does show a lot of those Loire herbal co- uh, notes. You know, it's one of those of things I constantly say when I re- review Featherstone wines, and I never mean it pejoratively, is that not all wines are made with the intention of sitting in a cellar. And that's the thing about Featherstone is the wines usually come out of the winery. When they hit the market, they're ready to drink. They're very approachable, like right from the, right from the onset. Um... But I'm going to have to start reevaluating that because this wine is 12 years old now. Like you said, 08 was a cool, wet, yep. rainy summer. Uh, this is still holding on to quite a bit of fruit. It's got a little bit of fruit, but it's got the. To me, it's got a lot of herbal characteristics, and it is very Loire esque, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, it's, on this it's one. quite it's quite lean. I mean, it's got a lot of cranberry that's starting yep. to, to pop through, like dried cranberry. Um, but the best part is you talked about the herbal note. It's really more like. A, like an herb de Provence, like maybe yeah. sort of like a dried parsley, uh, you know, sage, dried sage. Um, yeah, I mean that's it. But I mean it's um, it's not overpowering, and it's it's not clobbering the fruit like the pyrazine can when you get the bell pepper in this. Pour, pour that for me. Uh, you probably would fool me on it being a Pinot Noir. You know, kind of a. I'd you'd agree go, with that. You'd go uh, maybe a little older Pinot. Maybe uh, color was good. Color was was excellent on it. Uh, light, but you know. What do you expect from 08? I have, I have no problem with that uh, that 12-year-old um, uh, Cab Franc. I would tell you that I you pull out a 12-year-old bottle of, of Chardonnay, uh, and I, I'm probably going to go, from Ontario, that I'm probably going to go, oh, no, no. See, I see what you're doing here. Like, you're baiting the hook, and you're hoping that I'm going to take the bait. I already said at the beginning of this that this isn't I, I, just because something sellers for a long time doesn't mean it's best. No, right? I'm just I'm just giving you the the. You're, you're trying to bait me, but nice, nice try, Mister Pincus. So here we are now, moving on to a 13. And uh, oh, there we what go. My, but my favorite part about uh, uh, talking to uh, Louise at Featherstone. See, this is about herbal. this. This is herbal on the nose. Was that uh, she said she found these under her bed, and uh, I believe <laughs> that it's probably true. She probably did uh, look under the bed and found some Cab Franc because. Sometimes I believe that uh, good cab franc should be kept under the bed and uh, and close close by. So, yes, that one's definitely got that tobacco uh, right from the right off the hop. Thirteen yep. again, a very um, a, a very plentiful year. If uh, if all of all things see, are I love that the first wine showed so well because to me, uh, I mean, it's got like it's the t- the pipe tobacco. Like it smells like a pipe. Yeah, uh, but it's got like some cracked black pepper on it. The fruit's fighting for attention uh, once but again. I think there. thanks to the, I think there. thanks to the screw cap. Like, man, if there's any doubters on on screw cap, like this is holding on to some like fresh fruit. Like it's it's a juicy raspberry on the mid palate. Like it's not overpowering. It's it's raspberry. It's cranberry. It is a little bit on the tart side. You're not going to fool me on Pinot on this one. That's no, for sure. No, no, I'm definitely not going to go. Hey, that's a Pinot Noir. You could, you could have probably fooled me, maybe as a Gamay. 
no way get me on this. Okay, but you know what? I think this is this is a wine though where we're getting to the crux of the debate that you and I were having and that people were having. Is there a wine anywhere else on the planet that parallels this? Because this is fine. Maybe it's leaning towards Loire. Uh, yeah, the umbrella is not really completely covering us. No, I'm, my back is soaked. <laughs> but we're six feet apart, and that's what matters. Yeah. Uh, you know, we're, we're, we're leaning towards Loire, but I find, like, the fresh fruit on this, you know, just to be a little bit more present and a little bit less rustic. Like, there's an elegance to this wine that yeah. you don't get from Chinois or Bourguet, like... And, I, and that and that tobacco, as you mentioned, that's that 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 pipe tobacco, that cigar okay, tobacco. Okay, smell it again. The tobacco's already sort of blown off. Like I don't know if that was just from being locked up. Take it, take another splash. Either you might end up with just tobacco again, but but uh, I, I, I would offer you my glass to smell, but I, I might make you to, might make you sick. We're not even allowed to touch uh, each other's glassware. You came out with glassware and gloves, so and I'm gonna have to smash this one when I'm done. So. Oh God, no! I already did that last week. I was talking to my wife, I, so I smashed one of my beautiful uh, Schatzwiesel Crew Classic Bordeaux glasses, and usually I immediately replace my stemware when I break up, so I have a full set for when I have people over, and my wife was just like, why are you worried about replacing it? Yeah, We're not entertaining anytime soon. That's very true. So, yeah. Um, yeah, the tobacco's kind of blown off, but it's, it's still slightly there. Oh, wow. It's what I expect. Well, that's it, is um, like candied cherry... You know, raspberry jam has started to come through, but it's not jam. Yeah, go ahead and stand. I'm going to stand now uh, for this because my back is now completely soaking wet from your umbrella. And I think my chair is now getting a pool on it. So I'm going to stand. So that's how I'm going to do this tasting. And it's just like being back at the LCBO uh, where (laughs) we just uh, taste and we move. All we're missing is Mr. B. Oh, wait, my... Yeah, my pants are wet too. <laughs> so, and it isn't from me. Okay, you know what? It's amazing that this thirteenth evolved that quickly. Like, I, I really wonder what it is about the um, the savory note to it that uh, it's blown off this quickly. Uh, well, again, thirteen. Uh, one of those, you know, it, it was a plentiful vintage. I think at the time it was the most plentiful vintage that we had ever had in Ontario. But quantity doesn't always equal no, quality. No, no, and that's that was the problem. I I always thought was that you know that's great that we have so much, but it wasn't going to be a great wine. Is this a great bottle of of Cab Franc? I don't think it's great, but it's certainly drinkable, and I would have no problems opening that up now and finishing the rest. Uh, of it. but you, you you know, okay. As a as a critic. I, just, I, I agree with you. It's not a great wine, but in the term, in terms of the debate, because we're 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 trying to create a case for why Cabernet Franc should be Ontario's grape. This is once again not a strong vintage. You know, thirteen was a little bit more typical. I don't think it was as wet and crappy as 08. But seven years later, under screw cap, still nice tannic structure. I think this might have another three years to go before it starts to completely go savory. The tobacco note blew off of it, and it's now wonderful and fruity and well-balanced. This is a $20 bottle of Franc. This isn't, you know, Red Shale Cabernet Franc from Trius for $50. This isn't Eye Cellars for $50. This isn't Two Sisters for $50. For all intents and purposes, this is a step up from the entry level. And it's, yeah, is this like a toe-curling, show-stopping, you know, drop-the-mic kind of wine? No. Is this something that is 
fun to taste and an interesting experience to share with people who might be doubtful of the longevity of Ontario wines? I, I think where, you, where, you are, where you're slightly off base okay. uh, here is that it may be a showstopper if people know the vintage, uh, people know it's from Ontario, or don't know it's from Ontario. Because I think if you pour that blind for somebody, they would be, wow, I really like that and the way it opens up. Yeah. And then you say it's a seven-year-old wine. You get somebody who goes, well, I don't drink Ontario wine or I don't like Cabernet Franc. You pour that for them and they'll be like, well, I really like that wine. What is it? I have a friend that uh, that blanket says I hate Merlot, but every so often I throw out a Merlot, a blind to her. God, that movie needs to die, hey? And she's absolutely, she's like, oh, I love this wine. What is it? I go, ha Merlot! So I think, you know, these are the kinds of wines that we could pour for people who go, I don't like Ontario or I don't get Cab Franc or something like that. And they would go, I really like, and especially that 13, that opens up to, a, in a way that... I think makes people like one older wine and two Ontario wine. None of these taste old. That's what's remarkable no. about them. Um, and I guess the Merlot. I know that I've spent quite a time on this podcast crapping on Merlot and Merlot from Ontario, but even I'm not as close-minded as just straight up carpet bomb and say I don't like Merlot. <laughs> All right. So now we're going to move on. This is the 14. 14. I think when we talked to uh, to Craig McDonald, uh, he did say that they're like three great vintages. Three average vintages, three crappy vintages, and then you get that one in a, in a decade that just you never know what it's going to be. It's going to it's going to show up on one of. The, so fourteen was one of those really average, average years. Yeah, if, if memory serves, there was nothing really, um, uh, nothing really great about it. There was nothing really wrong with it. It just was an average, typical Ontario vintage. And, and usually... Uh, okay, now now I remember why I love these wines in their youth. The thing is, six years in, this should not still be tasting as young and vibrant as this is. I can still smell your uh, your Indian restaurant below, so... <laughs> one of the one of the, the beauties of uh, recording on uh, Andre's patio is that uh, with the... <laughs> we get these whiffs once in a while. Sometimes it's garam masala, sometimes it's garlic, sometimes it's fried crispy onions... No matter what it is, you leave this place hungry. Oh, smells good though. All right, so yeah, this is this is you know straight up Cab Franc. There's no doubt about it. Acids are, are sharp, like right on the nose. Like it's full on cranberry and like very tart raspberry. Like no no jam to it. Like it's. it's got I think it's remarkable that. You know, I, I have some questions for Dave and Louise about what clone they have planted. I don't know as much about Cabernet Franc clones as I know about Pinot Noir clones. But the the savory edge to this is always, like I said, that, that herb garden, the thyme, rosemary, they really, savory sage. They really sage. nailed it, but again, that tobacco that I always get from Cabernet And no, no bell pepper. No bell pepper. Which, which I, as raspberry. I've said before, I don't mind bell pepper. I really don't mind bell pepper in my Cabernet Franc in the right hands. Like, I... The 2018 Fogler Cab Franc that, you know, I did thumbs down on that podcast, but, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it's still quite drinkable, had quite a bit of bell pepper to it. Correct, because of the vintage. Yeah. Okay, we still get it. There's no doubt about it. But, you know, we are a cool climate, and as long as we can get people to understand that we're not California and that we have vintage variation, just like they do in Bordeaux and the great wine regions of the world, Tuscany. 
uh, Burgundy, you know, the great wine regions of the world, Yum. we have vintage variation. And that's what you have. You're not going to pick up a bottle of, you know, J. Lor Merlot and it's always going to be the same bottle because that's what J. Lor Merlot It's It's a straight up bottle of wine that is the same every single time. This tastes like cherries. And the nice thing is, like, we're on the patio. It's about five degrees Celsius. So these bottles are in my trunk. (laughs) These bottles are have a bit of a chill on them, but like, this is yummy. Kind of a sour cherry, but also it's got a little hint of that nice raspberry tartness. Mm -hmm. That's a lovely bottle. And again, six years old. You know, it's it's the one thing though. Like maybe maybe this is the one thing that is holding the market back is like a lot of people when they really get into their love of wine they tend to go super heavy right like i think about my my colleagues who are wine drinkers while i was starting to write about wine 10 years ago and argentinian malbec is something that would show up at my house a lot it's sort of like you get you get the sweet wines out of your system and then you go to the other side of the spectrum where it's just like oh, oh, oh my god this is what real wine tastes like you know let's get into Argentinian Malbec. Let's get into entry level Bordeaux. Let's get my hands on Chianti Classico, Super Tuscans, and you know, just explode your head with flavor. And I think the thing is, even in Ontario, we'll never be a full bodied wine range. And we see it come up in the in the conversations all the time. People looking for full bodied Ontario wine, and, and, and we do have people who are coming close and working damn hard at it. The Foreign Affair, and it, I know I already name dropped a bunch of them: Adnan, Isel. And uh, two sisters who are making it their mission, Colinari, yeah, like trying that. to deliver that full-bodied effect. But and, and don't get me wrong; these are people doing great wine. I, I want to make it absolutely clear that I'm not crapping on the people who are endeavoring to kind of bring that power to Ontario because the market definitely exists for it. But I, I, I would argue that you know it takes a bit to kind of get that blow your face off uh, intensity off your radar and you end up coming back to elegant wines you know elegant de- elegant delicate you know this is this is not powerful wine this is delicate but wine. but a little bit more of a foundation like it's got a, it's got a concrete basement as opposed to a lot of the pinot in ontario which is just light and elegant and and pretty yeah there is there is a, a, a this is our fuller bodied red that we can do every year Versus Cabernet Sauvignon, which is not a fuller-bodied red that we can do every year. It is a full-bodied red, yes, but it's something we cannot do every single year. Now, let's move on to uh, a vintage that now this is under Lux, and it, it somehow makes always makes a different sound when it cracks. And you know what? They just came right off. This is the the screw thing, and, the, and, the, and the, I had one of these the other day where I, for the life of me, could not get. And it happened with a Lux. There we go. And uh, the bottom part uh, loosens, so yeah. you can spin it, but the top part will remain solid. I had a, a 10-year-old Aussie wine that did that to me the other day, and it took me five minutes to get the, uh, the, the piece off. So one of the ba- downfalls of, of Lux is that if somehow you end up um, oh. cracking it or cracking the bottom... The, you cannot sometimes get so, the top So, off. Michael, before we, we dive into what this wine smells like, the, the one thing that you uh, that you had talked about and was in your argument where you were quite passionate, how do we get the market to shift to drinking Cabernet Franc? And, and I mean, like, is it a matter of, of just convincing more people to be more like 
Brian Schmidt and, and, and populate that general list with more Ontario Cabernet Francs so that they move to the Featherstones and then eventually move to the Fogelers? Like, what what do we have to do to convince people that this is this is our grape? Well, this this is... That's always, I think, been the question. It's a lot easier to to talk Pinot Noir. It's easier to talk Merlot. Um, it's easier to talk more popular grape varieties. Cab Franc is not a worldwide popular grape variety. We just have to really educate consumers. Writers like myself and you and Tony Asler and David Lorison and, and those guys have got to start talking Ontario Cab Franc. And, and that's that's what will will turn the market we have to talk the lcbo into carrying more uh cabernet franc we have to talk whammo into get off the chardonnay riesling pinot bandwagon and start talking about cabernet franc being uniquely ontario that's what it is it is uniquely ontario there is no other region in the world uh, besides the loire that focuses so much attention on cabernet franc and it is it, it, it is really something that is uniquely Ontario. I think that's well said. Um, I guess the one challenge that I see, though, that I think a lot of people keep forgetting, and, and you know what, I, I just I still think back to my days of having my weekly segment on News Talk 1010, where I reviewed only Ontario wine, and I would frequently get um, emails or text messages from listeners that the wines were too expensive. And, you know, that's the other thing about Argentinian Malbec is you can get a bottle of, uh, what is it, Kaikin for like 11 bucks. Um, you know, if you want to get to decent, not great, but decent Chilean Cabernet Sauvignon, you're looking at $9, $10. And, you know, when you're new to wine, it is a big ask to make that jump from $10, $11 to $15, $16, $70 to $19. I think this is $19.95. I don't know if the price is a little higher now. And actually getting BQA, right? You don't yeah. uh, you, you don't want to go into the cellar in Canada or international Canadian blends, right? So, so maybe it's not even just focusing on the grapes, but just focusing with price point at all. Because it's a thing. It didn't take me long in my career writing about wine to learn that, you know, let's let's face it. It's a challenge at the entry level, and you know our our Pelee Islands, our our Pellers, our Trias do a really good job flying the flag at the entry level for Ontario. But where we really shine is in that like eighteen to you know eighteen to thirty five dollar price range where we're toe to toe against everyone else in the world. But how do you convince people to skip skip the kind of rougher stuff at the beginning where vintage variation really factors in and go right to the good stuff, right? How do, you, how, do you, how do you get people to do that? That's the question I want to answer. You want to know how to get people to the good stuff right away? Yeah. Is that what? You can't. You have to start them somewhere. People have to start somewhere. And and look, Featherstone at 20 bucks. that's... That's know, a big okay. ask. That's a big ask for someone who's new to wine. But hold on. We got uh, we got Brian Schmidt over at... Um, uh, over at... Um, Vineland. Vineland. Okay, but that's one. That's one. Get them started there then. If it's just that one where they go, wow, this Cab Franc thing is really good, what else is out there? Is it a big jump to go $5? It know. is. It I is, though. I'm telling, I'm telling you from dealing with the listeners, like, you know, when, you, when you've got somebody who's got a passion for wine and that bug has bit them, and, and I mean, you know, I, I've been spending a little bit more time on social media. I see the people who have the passion. It's easy to convince someone who has the passion where it's just like, okay, I get that you're really enjoying what you're drinking right now. But spend five more dollars and you'll get twice as much wine. And and people will do that. It's just, it's tough. Like, you know, 
I, I've mentioned on the podcast before, I hate the term average consumer because there's no such thing as an average consumer. There are so many factors that go into what makes up a consumer, but it's... You know, it's just tough to get someone to spend their first money on a, or, you know, spend money on their first car on a BMW where, you know, that, that Ford Focus looks pretty good on the showroom floor. I, th- I think, especially now during uh, this pandemic, that we're all sitting around at home, we're all rushing the LCBO like, uh, like it's uh, the quarterback, um, and, and, and we're the, the defensive linemen trying to get to them. Um, I don't think. It's, it's a, a, a large push to tell people, buy local, save our wineries. Uh, and if we do that now, uh, we are going to get... And because, you know, a lot of wineries are delivering themselves. Hello. Uh, um, it's, it's not a push to get them to try stuff. And maybe... You know what? I get the idea of everything going online. I get it. Uh, and it's easy to shop online and shop price-wise. But wouldn't it be great if wineries, you could phone the winery up and place your order and talk to somebody at that at, at the other end and say, look, this is what I like. Uh, what can you recommend for me? And that, the, that you have like a, a winery professional in the end go, you know what? Maybe you'd like to try our, you know, Cab Franc. Maybe you'd like to try the Sauve that we made in 2017. You know, it's... it's it's that personal service that we could we could push also that would get Ontario drinkers to drink more Ontario wine and to experiment more with it. Wow, that was uh, that was really well said, Michael. <laughs> I've said a lot of good things tonight. Well, I mean, it is like, okay. and I'm not even drunk. Here's here's the, here's the other problem: is most of the people who are listening to this podcast were preaching to the choir. It's a lot of people who either work in the industry or are those passionate wine lovers that we've mentioned. We know that when you and I highly recommend something, they go and check it out. And like like I said, you want to taste show-stopping Cabernet Franc, check out the Fogelar 2016 uh, Cabernet Franc that he has for sale right now. Um, but maybe share this podcast with uh, someone else. And I, I mean, okay, fine. It sounds like I'm, I'm being a shameless self-promoter. Which you are. A little bit. Um but you know, just you know, just kind of be, be, we can all become evangelists for the wine industry to say, you know what, it's it's all fine and well. And let's face it, I'm, I'm, we're, you and I are currently working on the Toronto Life gift guide for December, and we're looking for best bargain bottles. And I'm going to be drinking a lot of general list wines over the next month to find those absolute best bottles at twelve, thirteen dollars. But you know, I'm going to do my best to make sure that we've got some Ontario VQA in that 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 fits the bill, and. Frankly, I'm looking more forward to the um, the gift the gift wines because there's some really great Ontario VQA selection. We've been told that there's no price limit for the gift giving wines, but it's the other nice thing about Ontario is you don't need to spend two hundred and fifty dollars on a bottle of Sazakaya, which I was lucky enough to taste this year. Thank you very much, Sylvester, for uh, sending that to me to taste. But you can get some baller Ontario wines for $35, $40. And that's a hell of a lot cheaper than dropping $150, $200 on Napa Cab. And that money goes right into the pockets of the people who make the wines. And we're talking some of the best wines in the world. You know, uh, another shout-out. Well, you know, let me throw two out there. Look at you. The Featherstone Joy 2014. Very good. Just went through vintages. 35 bucks. I still absolutely maintain that that goes toe-to-toe with any entry-level champagne on the market. Comes under screw cap where you made me open up my 2009 way too early. Comes under crown cap. Way too early because it comes under crown cap so you know you can age that forever if you want to. Mm. 
and the Flat Rock 2017 Gravity that made both of us speechless that is currently only available at the LCBO. Correct, it's sold out on that. But you can still get these wines, and those are great gifts. Those are that's what I want for Christmas. But let's talk quickly about this fifteen. That we've this is the glass. showstopper I was looking for. So this is is still got lots of uh, really, I don't want to say big tannins because we don't really do a lot of big tannins. Mm-mm. More, but, more, 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 please. But, but the tannins are definitely there. So there's lots more ageability to this wine. This uh, is this is one of those vintages too, where like it's it's it. You know, I think everyone forgot about 2015 when 2016 rolled around. Yeah. It was another, like, typical vintage. No, 15 was a, was a really good vintage. The only problem is we had, like, that short crop, right? Because of the winters. 13, 14, 14, 15, really crappy winters, minus 32, minus 36. That killed off 30% in the first and thirty another 30% in the, in the, the second. second. Yeah. And so not that we had 40% of, of crop. We had... But we had much less crop than we should have, which allowed those grapes to ripen really well, and it was a hot summer. This is juicy. Yeah. This is but it's juicy, cherry, raspberry. Backbone. It's got notes of blackberry. I, if I, the savory I, note is buried under it. Like, I really hope I have some more of this in the salt. Like, this will go easily another five, seven years. Uh, I'd, I'd push it as far as a decade, given how well the 2008 aged under... Screw cap, like this is under screw cap, so I think you can add another few years to your aging potential because you're, it sounds like we're still thinking about corks. This is this is absolutely a delight. That's that I think, I think it's the best in the lineup, and it just shows that also vintage variation, but it also shows that Dave is really getting a handle on these wines. So, Chardonnay will always be my first love. Your bathing wine, but I am looking forward to us continuing down this rabbit hole because I you know what like I said I, I, I think we've joked about it we've um, we, we, we've joked about my love of Chardonnay but you know I, I will admit that maybe I have a bit of the the blinders on with just my personal bias and how much I love it and I need to uh, I need to put on my journalist hat again and, and become a little bit more objective about some of these other grapes I've maybe neglected and I throw out the uh, the the, um, the invitation to any winer who would like to um uh, give us a, a, a small flight, well, three, four wines, uh, Cabernet Franc. You think your Cabernet Franc is, is aged? Do you think you make good Cabernet Franc? I would like to prove to Andre with beyond a shadow of a doubt. I don't want him going, well, maybe. I want beyond a shadow of a doubt that he goes, yeah, you know what? Maybe you were right. Maybe. Yes, I would, say, I, would, maybe. I would say right now there's still reasonable doubt because we did just do the podcast last week with Thomas about Pinot Noir, and it's just... Pinot Noir is one of those wines where every year you can spike the football and get that super high quality. But, you know, I'm I'm glad that we started with Featherstone because, like I said, Featherstone's one of those wineries where I love reviewing their wines. I love talking about their wines on the radio on News Talk 1010 because I know that as a consumer, and you and I both know the stat that, what is it, like 95% of wine is consumed within 25 or 24 hours of being brought home from the LCDO. Yeah. Is when you pick up a bottle of Featherstone wine, you can take it home and crush it without having to worry about it, without having to decant it, without having to do backflips to make it work the way it's supposed to work. But I have vastly underestimated how well these wines age. I, I think I'm going to have to start buying them in duplicate and triplicate. That's that's what you should always do, just to make sure. Just to make sure. All right, thank you very much for for listening. Uh, I am thanks. soaked. I am soaked. Oh God. Oh, sorry, Brian. Um, yeah, I, that's why I stood up. Uh, but I, I still feel like wet all over. 
Uh, I, uh, I don't think it rained all day, and then when we started the podcast... I know, I kept rain. checking the sidewalk. I can see the sidewalk from Queen and John, where the radio station broadcast, and I was just like, okay, good, it's not raining hard enough to get the sidewalk wet. Oh, good, it's not raining hard enough to get the sidewalk wet. Ah, yeah. uh, crap. Yeah. So, uh, thanks for listening. I'm Michael Pincus of MichaelPincusWineReview.com. I'm Andre Pru of AndreWineReview.ca. And uh, on this wet, rainy November night, I wish you all... Uh, hey, Michael. Before you sign off, just remember, nothing lasts forever. Not even cold November rain. Oh, my God. Wash your hands. Stay safe. We love you. Good night. Oh, my God. I can't believe That's my cue out of here. Thanks for listening. Please subscribe to Two Guys Talking Wine on iTunes. Two Guys Talking Wine was produced by Adam Duran 